0: Thank you, brother. Well, man, it is good to see you this morning. What a great week it's been, and uh, I do hope uh, with all the excitement and all the hanging out and late nights, I can keep you all awake for a minute. If you have your Bibles, I want to just direct you to a few verses as we kick off uh, this morning. Isaiah 46, and in Isaiah chapter 46, uh, the Bible speaks to the nature of our Lord and His incredible ability to tell the beginning from the end or till the end, I'm sorry, from the beginning. I just said that backwards, so that tells you where I'm at today. All right, so Isaiah chapter 46, check this out. Isaiah 46 and verse 9, the Bible says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Heavenly Father, I pray as we continue studying today, Lord, that you would just bless this time. I need your help today, Lord, and I pray, God, that uh, we all do, Lord, daily. I just, once again, come to your throne asking, Lord, that you just teach us today as only you can, in Jesus' name. As we look at this passage, uh, I'm reminded of you know, where we are today, and, uh, and we have, we've come through the tribulation, we've, we've seen the second coming, we have now are arriving at the seventh day. Now, if you remember, going back to Sunday morning, hopefully you guys were here for that, or you can go back and watch uh, Pastor Jeff's message. It was an incredible message, and he pointed out the very first day that the testimony of Jesus Christ, somebody just, let me just test you real quick, is the spirit of? Prophecy, right? The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And Isaiah, um, the prophet, is pointing out that God, and God is bringing that message: that hey, I declare the, I declare the end from the beginning. I, I know, I know what's going to happen. And I tell you, today, what we're going to talk about has been on God's calendar. It's been on His radar for a long time. Uh, Tomorrow is my my daughter's birthday, and uh, and uh, she has been waiting. I think since last year on her birthday for this year's birthday. <laughs> I mean, she is one of those people that she cannot wait for her birthday. And she is just uh, you know, beside herself and she texted me, you know, dad, my birthday's Thursday. I'm like, I know, honey. We've been talking about this incessantly. <laughs> uh, but she knows it's coming. Why? Because in her world, right? That's a big deal. I want you to know The day of the Lord, which starts at the second coming, at that victory, that 24-hour battle that we talked about where Jesus Christ comes and and, and has that campaign, splits the Mount of Olives, it's over before it begins. That 24-hour day leads us into a 1,000-year day, and that 1,000-year day uh, is a day that the Lord has been looking for for a long, long time. And if it be that maybe someone out in the atmosphere or maybe even in the room this morning is you know checking all this prophecy stuff out and you haven't yet been convinced, right? I just want you to consider the incredible prophetic ability of God. Not of us. We don't know anything other than what God has given us. We, we set forth what we see, but we know that God has already been planning this day. From the beginning. And when I say the beginning, I mean the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, right, verses 1 through 3 in your Bible, I think many of you know this, but just just for Christ's sake, I want to just read this passage. Genesis chapter 2. And uh, let's look at this together, just afresh. I know you know it, but let's just remember this together. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished. When was that, after six days? And then on verse 2, oh, and by the way, and and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, right? He set it apart because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created, and made, Wow. Man, that's profound. Well, on its surface, perhaps it's not, but I think most of you probably are, are trained in the Word of God to know that in addition to this seven-day, literal seven-day uh, creation account, that God took the seventh day and He rested. We know God doesn't need rest, so what did He do? He chose to rest. Why did He take that decision? Because He wanted to set apart, right, sanctify a day of rest Because he had this day that we're going to talk about here in just a moment in mind. This day has been on God's prophetic calendar from the beginning. And don't doubt God, (laughs) you will lose. I mean, God knows what he is doing. And he sets forth the end from the beginning. And so this seventh day of rest is a day that not only uh, is set apart by the Lord himself, by God himself, from the beginning... But if you remember, Peter reminded us of that in in the book of of First uh, Peter, chapter three. And uh, in First Peter, chapter three, I said First Peter, Second Peter, chapter three. There's this incredible passage. Speaking of uh, some incredible wrath that was coming. Talking about in verse 7, the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You won't see that word perdition the same after hearing what we heard yesterday. Now, look at verse 8. But beloved, that's you all, that's me, right? Beloved, this is something we should know. Be not ignorant of this one thing. So if we're not going to be ignorant today of one thing, this is the thing we're not to be ignorant of. Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And so we know that a thousand years is important to God. And as we look at history, right, we can go back and we look at usher's chronology. It just so happens that our timeline runs back 4000 B.C., even secular historians with all their carbon dating, when they really when they really drill down. Uh, they're going to find that that's about as far back as you can go. And um, the reality is, even though they have all these other obscure dates, the reality is is that a day with the Lord is a thousand years. He's been looking forward to this day, and we're not to be ignorant of that, uh, because he is the rightful king, as we heard last night. Man, what a great message that was. And you know, what kind of muddied that up, of course, was us. Because there was the first Adam. So as Adam entered that garden, man, I mean, that was set up for him. It was set up for humanity to go forward. And, and of course, we know what happened in the garden. And one day, check this out, and one day they took the fruit and they died. The day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In a 24-hour period, man, they were quickly, instantly. They were spiritually, they didn't physically drop dead, but spiritually they lost fellowship with God. And God had to call in the garden, sacrifice the animal. You understand the whole thing. So there again, God's laying out progressively, revealing his plan, his prophecy from the beginning. He's declaring it, and he's showing us the end. But then, in a 24-hour day, he dies. So then, it's interesting that the first Adam lived 930 years. He didn't make it a day. He didn't make it a day, but the last Adam, he got on a cross in a day, actually within a few hours, and what did he do? He, w- he allowed the wrath of God to be poured upon him. He took the cup of God's wrath. He put himself in a place where he said, man, let not th- I don't want to do this, Father, but not my will, thine be done. He learned obedience, the Bible says in Hebrews, through the things that he suffered, <clears throat> and he suffered. And because of his suffering, we don't have to face this suffering, right? Because in a day, he took his, our sin and the sin of the whole world upon himself. And of course, those that bow their knee, as, as Mark talked about last night, and confess Christ as Lord and Savior, well, guess what? We have inherited eternal life. But not only did he take care of our sin in a day, but he is the rightful ruler this day, the 1,000-year reign of Christ. It's been on his calendar since the beginning. He has declared it. And so that's my intro. If you have your Bible, turn to, turn to the book of uh, Revelation, chapter 20, and we're going to pick up now. After that one 24-hour day, right, what does he do? He returns in 24 hours, as, as Greg was speaking of and I spoke of yesterday. He takes over in a day. He, he, he splits the Mount of Olives, Zechariah, uh, and uh, teaches us in chapter fourteen. And he and he just, I mean, he just he just goes in Jerusalem. He's anointed the king, and it's on, and that begins a one thousand year day that culminates in seven thousand years of human history. That brings us right here, Revelation chapter twenty. Let's look at verse one. The Bible says in Revelation chapter twenty, and I saw an angel. Come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which, which is the devil and Satan and bound him, there it is, a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. As Mark said last night, man, that was great, man. Shut him up. I'm going to hang on the rim with Mark. That's good. Shut, oh man, shut him up (laughs) and set a seal upon him that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that were upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image. Neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. <clears throat> Verse 5, but the, the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And so this morning, <clears throat> what I want to do is just in the time that we have remaining, and I'm going to have to fly, um, and so uh, you guys are going to just have to stay awake and keep with me. We're going to look at the purpose of... The purposes of the millennium. Why, right? Why? What is going on here? Uh, God has established this one thousand year period. So let's talk about that. Why? In your notes, the first point is why did Jesus do this? Number one, to reveal to man how government and society are supposed to function, right? This has been in His mind from the beginning. He tried to hand it off to uh, to uh, Adam, and and that didn't work. And he tried to. He has a whole plan, and I'm going to get into that in just a moment. The Bible, though, says in Isaiah nine. In verse uh, 7, actually, the prince of peace, of the increase of his government and the peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom to order it, an establishment with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The throne of David is going to go on forever. and uh, And that government of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to go on forever. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, <coughs> I want to just refresh you, remind you, and it's in your notes, so I'm not going to take a lot of time and go into the details and read everything I have there. But in the, in your notes, I put, um, and I didn't do a very good job of it because I just whipped it out, but uh, the seven dispensations. And uh, and so uh, it starts with innocence, when Adam failed in the garden. And then there's conscience, when Adam's seed failed in the matter of the sons of God in Genesis 6, right? And God brought judgment the flood of Noah. Then after Noah, right, we know that <coughs> after the flood... In Genesis chapter nine, there was a a new start, and he said, "Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth," <clears throat> and uh, and so Noah was able to go forth and and establish um, uh, human government on this earth, and and of course, capital punishment was enacted, and and then in in uh, the next dispensation of of God's uh, grace, Abraham came forth, uh, not of God's grace, God's we talked about that yesterday, but the next dispensation is God is is, is entrusting. Uh, men with uh, his uh, government and his rule. Abraham is promised a seed. And, of course, uh, as that's happening, of course, the devil's watching all this, and he's like, aha, the seed of Abraham, I better target that. And uh, it's on. And then, of course, through Abraham's seed comes Moses, and with Moses comes the law. And uh, with the law, of course, we know that uh, we can't keep it. So Jesus kept it for us. He died on the cross. It ushered us into the age of grace. And then, of course, uh, this has been a 2,000 year period of, of incredible grace, as we talked about yesterday, where those who call upon the name of the Lord are saved, and we trust in His finished work alone for our salvation. It's an incredible t- time, like no other in history, as Jesus Christ I- brings the bride of Christ together, the church. But of course, uh, we're failing, right? That's, that's really the rapture is a judgment. As much as we look forward to it on a, on, a, on a lot of levels, we've seen there's a judgment that comes at the judgment seat of Christ. There is a There's a certain understanding that God has commissioned us and given us a stewardship, and and, and we are to be carrying that forth and getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. And if we're apathetic, if we're just just messing around, man, it's a sad thing, and God has to pull us up out of here. And what we don't get done, the 144,000 will get done, and they will preach the gospel all over the world. It's the gospel, though, that we're talking about here in this this section, right? And they go, and, and they are incredibly effective, and, of course, we know the second coming comes, and now we are in the millennium. So there's your dispensational chart flyover. That's what we talked about last year, and that's why we talked about it. Now, this year, why is that all important? Well, in the millennium, God will administer the government through Israel. In the millennium, God's going to administer the government through Israel. He's going to be a benevolent ruler of the world, the king of will have no opposition, his government will be perfect, and Satan will be bound 1,000 years, as we read in Revelation 20. And so, even in this perfect environment, it will be shown that man left to himself, without the influence of Satan, will rebel rebel against God at the very end, as we read, and people will refuse to honor God and society. And so the old adage, the devil made me do it, is going to be proven wrong. The truth of the matter is that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Now I know we know that, but that's going to be proven out as well in the millennium in a perfect environment without the influence of Satan at the very end. It's a time of even free will, and it, and it where men's free will that accompanies those in the millennium will finally bring a rebellion, which will be very short, and it doesn't take long. In your Bible, look in Revelation 20, uh, I kind of kind of skip skip down a little bit to verse 7 the Bible says and when the thousand years are expired Satan shall be loosed for out of his out of his prison and shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea and it's a great dramatic long thing no not at all it, Jesus it won't mess around at the end of the millennium, after the millennium's over. There's no messing around with Jesus anymore. Verse 9, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and come past the camp of the saints about the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. End of story. <laughs> That's it. I mean, he just takes care of business. You, aren't gonna be me- you ain't messing with Jesus anymore. It's over. He is, he is ruling and he's reigning and he is large and he is in charge. And man, praise God for that. He's been looking forward to this and putting up with us and putting up with the devil and his angels for a long time, for a whole week. A thousand years is the day with the Lord. You guys tracking with me? Amen. Okay, let's stay awake. So, so often, right now, we are so far removed from, from the biblical society that it, it seems odd to us. To even comprehend the social laws of exodus twenty one through twenty three going back to deuteronomy that'll in Deuteronomy will be in effect as the government of this world, but that's what's going to happen. Your second point, why does this happen? Well, to fulfill the promise of an earthly kingdom for israel right and so um the the, the text says in matthew twenty five verse thirty four then the king uh, say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared' you from the foundation of the world I just got news for you that's not talking to, to all of us that's talking to Israel they have a kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world and so uh, this is important because there's all millennials there's a lot of false teaching out there uh, that would teach you that that you know what we need to spiritualize the promises of Israel and uh, apply them to us I remember driving in my car I was just getting we were just starting uh, hBf Heartland. Uh, in Harrisonville and I was driving home from work I was still uh, you know tent making and I was driving home and uh, or driving wherever I was going to Harrisonville I was on my way to Harrisonville down the interstate and and I hear Hank Hanegraaff on the radio laying out his end times situation It was a preterist what we call a preterist position and he spiritualizes all of the this and the uh, this is part up to the abomination of desolations and I think they spiritualize all this up to the 1500s it just didn't make any sense I was like, what in the world? Then I realized when I listened to him that basically they take the position that, you know, we are Israel and we get the promises. And it's an all millennial type of position. And in in Matthew 25 34, where the, the Bible says the kingdom was prepared from the foundation of the world, they spiritualize it. It says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Well, that you there, they put themselves in there from the foundation of the world. Of course, we do inherit the kingdom of God. This is really important for you Christians and us Christians. I'm a Christian too, so all of us, all right? <laughs> so if you're born again, <laughs> it's been a long week, all right? So, uh <laughs> so our inheritance, now don't miss this. I know I'm going back. Is, is Christ. Our rest is Christ. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, I'm telling you all, we get the best deal. It's amazing. We are ruling. What are we doing? We're ruling and reigning with Christ. But God has prepared a kingdom for, don't miss this, Israel. Right? You have a kingdom, all right? It's the kingdom of God. You're going to be part of what God is doing, and we'll talk about that. Greg's going to talk about that. But the reality is this. Uh, man, God has a special... It's given us a special inheritance, and when you get that straightened out, it'll really also help you with this end time prophecy stuff. It really helps you understand when you understand your inheritance, it'll help you find those goalposts a lot easier that Greg was talking about yesterday. All right, so all millennials nullify the royal land grant given to Abraham and the children of israel and I, I put a, a you know some pictures up that you can see you know in genesis fifteen eighteen the Bible says, in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, Under thy seed have I given this land' from the river egypt under the river euphrates and so the first picture i show is is the one that that clarence larkin puts up and uh, it's clarence larkin is the is the one that greg mentioned the other day you know people give him grief um i know he did not he i guess he used a uh american standard version oh but i'll tell you what this dude he lived before uh the the charts a lot of the charts that are in his book dispensational truth were created before nation, the nation of Israel was even uh, a nation, before 1918. God had given this man some incredible insights, and you know why? Because he believed the Bible, the Bible that he had. And uh, and I tell you what, you can't deny it. Just you just, you just cannot deny it. So when you look at his, uh, when you look at the chart here, this is just a literal, you know, an example from his mind of what is laid out in the Word of God. I have another picture there that the big red line is even bigger and it says the land of uh, god gave israel it's even you know it's even larger there's several renditions that's why i'm not going to get dogmatic about it cuz i haven't done all the homework to find all the boundaries on the map and all of that but it's i can tell you this it's a big swath and by the way new jerusalem's even huger but anyway so they get they get this they get a sizable portion of the middle east as their inheritance as a joshua and, and uh, gang had back in the Old Testament. That's what God intended, as David was about accumulating for Israel as they, uh, as they got their land grant. And so that's all a picture of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. He is going to give Israel their homeland. And you know what's awesome? They're going to be safe there. And so today, as they talk about the West Bank and this little sliver and that little sliver, I got news for you. The Gentile world better move over <laughs> because Israel's going to get their property when Jesus comes back. Because that's all i got to say about that. All right, so in Amos chapter 9, the Bible says that, uh, that <coughs> And I will, I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof, and they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them, and I will plant them upon their land, and, and they shall no more be pulled out of their land which I have given them. The land disputes are over. Say it, the Lord God Almighty. And man, that's, that day will, will establish that. Israel will be the head of nations. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 28.1, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord God, to observe, to do all the commandments which I command thee this day, the Lord thy God will set thee on high, on high, above all nations of the earth. They will be the, the nation of nations. There won't be a united nations. They will be the nation united under the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the other nations will come to them. Israel is promised to rule the Gentiles. In Jeremiah 23, in verse 8, the Bible says, Out of the north country and from the countries whither I have driven them, they shall dwell in their own land. Let me back up. It says, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all the countries whither I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Meaning that God will continue to fill up that land, right? And we see that even today as we're getting ready for uh, God's coming. But, it, I mean, the, the land is going to be full of Jews. And so the context of Jeremiah 23 is the Babylonian captivity. Right now, by the way, um, when, you, when you think about this, the, the restoration of uh, Jeremiah, if you go back and study that passage in verse 23, um, do you know that most of the world's Jews today do not live in Israel? In 2016, 44% of the Jews in the world lived in Israel, less than half. Guess where 39.5% live? Right here in the U.S., that's right. And the remaining 16.5% live in various countries of the world. In the millennium, guess where the Jews are going to live? You got that right. They're going to live on their property. They're all going to be there. And uh, in verse 20, 30, uh, Deuteronomy 32.8, the Bible says, uh, the Most High divided the nations in their inheritance when they when he separated the sons of adam he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of israel the gentile nations of the millennium will be divided into 12 major groups wonder why that is right because there's 12 tribes and the human government will work through them as as jesus christ rules and reigns on this earth and so in matthew 19:27 the bible speaks of the 12 apostles 12 apostles ruling and reigning on twelve thrones, each tribe with a, a subservient Gentile nation that's going to be incredible and and uh it, Jesus promised that me also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes in matthew nineteen twenty eight psalm one nineteen or psalm one eleven verse six it speaks to the heathen the Gentiles are going to get the inheritance <coughs> um, of Christ and, in, and Israel and so he that has showed his people the power of his works that they may give them. The heritage of the heathen. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. So, all the, the kingdoms of this world uh, ultimately are going to be under the control of Israel. And that's why today uh, there's a lot of angst against Israel. The Bible goes on to say in Psalms chapter 2, and uh, be wise now, therefore, O you kings. So, if you happen to be listening in today, maybe you're Donald Trump, maybe, maybe, maybe some other head of state. I don't think they're paying any attention. Maybe the Pope. <laughs> I doubt that. But if you're a Jesuit, just take a note, okay? Uh, be wise now, therefore, o ye, o ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and ye perish from the way. Uh, when His wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. Amen and amen. And so the ultimate fulfillment of the Old Testament mission is, is actually going to be accomplished. As Jesus Christ sits on the throne and he rules and reigns. And Second Chronicles chapter 6 says, If they come and pray in this house, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people of the earth may know the na- thy name and fear thee as doth thy people Israel and may know that this house which I have built is called by my name. And so like the Queen of Sheba back in First Kings chapter 10, the Gentile nations will know the Lord Jesus through the government that is set up by the Lord Jesus Christ, through his apostles, through his 12 tribes, to this world, and the Gentile nations will come and know the name of the Lord through him. So why, why is this going on? Why is there a millennium? To give the reward of the inheritance to the servants of Christ, in the church age, now this is the one that we got to perk up for. Let's wake up and do some jumping jacks. All right. So, Colossians chapter three and verse twenty-three says, "And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ." Now, this is what we need to remember: is that we are part of this kingdom. And when you get over here, I not- mentioned I, I noticed or mentioned earlier, our inheritance is in the kingdom of God. But guess what? The kingdom of heaven is now. Coupled and we rule and we reign with Christ. Whoa, whoa, that's why Paul's very clear in the New Testament you are a new creature in Christ, old things are passed away. You know, that is a problem we struggle with being Gentiles in our flesh. And perhaps you're here and you're a Hebrew, well, praise the Lord, we're all one in Christ. And our inheritance is the kingdom of God. And we are the sons of God, 1 John chapter 3. And when it says, Behold, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, boy, isn't that something? There's, that's, that's pregnant meaning. But I'll tell you, when it will be apparent what we shall be, it's right here. As we rule and reign with Christ, He is our inheritance, and we rule and reign. The kingdom of heaven is on earth. There's a worldwide rule of Israel. It's an, going to be an incredible time. The reward of the inheritance. So we will serve the Lord Jesus as his bride. It'll be a great time. I'm looking forward to it. In the book of Luke, um, I don't have time to get into all that passage, but you can look that up in Luke chapter 19. And, and uh, it, it, talks to, it talks about the kingdom of God appearing immediately. Um, and there's ten servants. Well, I'm going to have to keep moving. Forget it. I got to move on. But there's a there's a parallel passage to Luke. Let me just say this: Luke chapter 19 is dealing with uh, with the kingdom of God, and and uh, ten servants, which represents the Gentiles, and he and he mentions the pound in that in that uh, in that analogy, the stewarding of the the pound. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, there's a parable of the talents. Uh, th- it's a parallel to Luke 19, but it's a little different. And it mentions the kingdom of heaven. And I bring this up because there's a contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Interestingly enough, in, the p- in Matthew 25 1, which is right after Matthew chapter 24, which we've been looking at, right? Um, it, it speaks to this Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Uh, Matthew. <laughs> is loss of salvation in verse in verse thirty because the Jewish tribulation the kingdom of heaven versus the ki- uh, ver- in verse one is uh, different in verse twenty five and verse thirty it says in cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there shall be no uh, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth and i 've lost you on this so what I need to go back and say and I, and I've messed this up but in Luke nineteen when you go back and you look at the mention of the kingdom of God and the and the the uh the ten servants that had the ten pounds. They don't, lose their, they don't lose anything but their inheritance. When you're in Matthew chapter 25, you find out that the unfaithful servant is cast into outer darkness. And so we even see in the, in the book of Matthew, in the, in, in the Gospels, the distinction between the kingdom of God and what's at stake and the kingdom of heaven. We can lose our inheritance. Let me make this practical for you say, man, a lot, of our, a lot of people who don't believe in salvation by grace through faith think, well, that's easy believism, and, you know, you think you're once saved, always saved, and you can't lose your salvation. No, you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your inheritance. You, you can be naked at the judgment seat of Christ, as we've already seen a couple nights ago. Yeah, you won't lose your salvation, but for at least a thousand years, <laughs> everyone's going to know what manner of servant we were. And what we did with the talents that we had. The unprofitable servant in the kingdom of heaven, however, he loses his life, his eternal life. Luke is a loss of rewards. No outer darkness. Kingdom of God. The ten Gentile servants. <coughs> in Luke chapter 19 and verse 11 it says, And they heard these things and added and speak at the parable because he was nigh into Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should appear, immediately appear. So they were given one pound each, the same amount as an English Gentile unit of money. And our reward is to rule over the cities, literal kingdoms. And that's why I'm saying I'm mentioning this, because we literally will have a stake in administrating the government along with what God is doing with Israel. So what we do today, let me boil this down and try to make it as simple as I can, will affect our responsibilities in the millennium. And so, what are you doing with what you got? Because you do have an inheritance. It's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm set. Well, you're set, all right, but you better be looking forward to the millennium as well. There's something that you you do have at risk, and I have at risk. Matthew chapter 16 says this, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in in the glory of of his Father and with his angels, and then shall the reward of every man be according to his works. Verily I say unto you, There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Without a cross, there is not a crown. Now, Matthew chapter 16, obviously, is dealing with Israel. But you guys know that, you know what, we're to follow him. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus set the example in his temptation, right? He, he, He went to the cross before he established his crown. What did the disciples want? What was Peter wanting, man? Peter had his sword. He's like, let's establish a kingdom. He couldn't wait, right? Acts chapter 1, he's like, hey, when is the kingdom going to be restored? And, and Jesus is patient. He says, I've written it down. In the beginning, I declared the end. It's coming. It's coming. But what's being worked out, right, is what's going on in our lives. What are we doing with our lives? Are we putting the, yeah, we all want to get to the, we want to get to the millennium, but are we willing to take up the cross? Are we willing to take up the cross? Because, you know, yeah, we're not saved by works, but Ephesians 2 is very clear. We're saved unto good works. There is something for you to do. Maybe it's get discipled. Maybe it's uh, get involved in ministry or get involved, or just maybe today it's to get saved and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I got to keep moving. I'm going to run out of time. So, our service <coughs> now in this lifetime will determine our positions in the kingdom. That's, that's basically what I'm going to say. You can look up those other verses on your own. We're to give glory and honor in your notes, point four, uh, to the King, Jesus. In Psalm chapter 24, Matthew 25, 1, it speaks to this. We're going to be giving him honor and glory. Uh, the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. Ezekiel forty eight thirty five says that. Luke chapter 1 speaks to that. Uh, his throne will be there forever, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. In Psalm 24, the millennial psalm gives glory to the King, and uh, it's positioned between—you uh, know—you got Psalm 22, right? Uh, Jesus on the cross, Psalm 23, the going through the valley of death, and then Psalm chapter 24 uh, as we enter in that millennial that millennial reign in the Book of Psalms. And so it's incredible layout there. Point five there to give creation uh, time of rest. That's also. What's going to be going on during this? Why, do, why does this need to happen? Because creation has just gone through an incredible time, right? It, it, the, the, I mean, the, once the vials are poured out, it's just going to be decimated. It is all, all, Greg pointed that out, all the things are going to be destroyed. And so the seventh day, he got into his work, which he had made, and he rested, right? Well, not only did he rest, but the creation, going back to Genesis uh, 1 that we, or Genesis chapter 2 that we talked about earlier, the earth needs rest and the creator is now ruling and reigning in righteousness and he will heal literally the earth. That is the plan. That is the, that is the. Uh, by the way, that's the plan for um, sustainable development. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's the one that created the earth. He's the one that has the seals to the earth. He's the one that, that has the title deed to the earth. He's the one that will restore the earth. And uh, trying to rule this world without acknowledging him is a big mistake. So on the seventh day, uh, God will heal the earth, and the whole earth will stand quiet and they, as they break forth into singing, Isaiah fourteen seven says. And so uh, there's a lot of notes. So I'm just going to sk- skip over those for time's sake. You guys can read those. only get to point six. And <coughs> another reason is to demonstrate the sin nature of mankind with Satan bound. Satan is now bound, and I've already touched on that. Men- mankind left to himself will not get any better. I mean, we are rascals. Without Jesus, we're there is no hope. James 1 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine ages is nothing before thee. You guys know this. Verily, verily, every man or verily, every man in his best state is altogether. Vanity. Every man in his best state. And so, in the millennium, that will once again be proved out, <coughs> as people in mortal human bodies go alive into this kingdom. Yeah, people will actually endure to the end and be saved, and they'll go into the millennium. Some Gentiles, so and and they will go forth, and they will be in human bodies. James 1.13 talks about being enticed, enticed to sin. Man will sin of his own nature as Satan is, is held captive. And then at the very end, as he's, after the millennium, he'll be loosed, and man, men will just go along after him. In Psalm 39.5, the Bible, as I mentioned, mentions that man in his best state is altogether vanity. The millennium is going to be man at his best. The perfect utopia is going to be there. I mean, the the world's going to be perfect. There's going to be no excuses for sin. And yet man left to himself will sin. And I'm going to get to that here in just a moment. Um, (coughs) And so there's nothing wrong. Today there's a lot of teaching that there's nothing wrong with man's sin nature. But I've got news for you. It can't be reformed. You must be born again. So in a really practical sense, it's why we must preach the gospel because the best solution and the best time to deal with man's flesh, honestly, is right now. It's right now. This is the most comprehensive time to deal with your flesh in human history, between the resurrection of Christ and the rapture of the church. And I can't get off of that topic because that's why we're really here to learn the end times, because if we don't go away from here, tuned in a little bit finer on what we're really here to do, I mean, Mark really, that was a good message last night, y'all. I mean, some of these messages... We just got to sit there. We need to go back and revisit, check every day, right? What in the world are we doing and why? Is God going to get the glory or not? And I tell you what, it'll be manifest, not only in this session, but the next one as Greg gets into things yet to come, uh, of what kind of work we've been up to, because there's going to be people that we have to do with today that need to hear the gospel. And I tell you, it's our prerogative. It's our. It's up to us to exercise our our freedom in Christ to go share the gospel. How can we not preach the gospel, Paul said? Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. And so this is the millennium. I'm supposed to be happy. This is the best day ever. It really is. And so we need to enter that thing. Let's talk about the nature of the millennium. Uh, Man, flesh and blood will not enter the kingdom of of God. And so we'll have flesh and blood going into this kingdom uh, that is established in the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ with the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne of David in Jerusalem. It's going to be an incredible thing, and there is going to be a, a theocracy, the, nat- the nature of the millennium. What's it going to be like? Well, this is kind of exciting. So, when you, by the way, when you talk about government, it's always kind of a bummer. Um, but, uh, but in this case, it's going to be incredible because it's going to be a theocracy. King Jesus will be on the throne, ruling and reigning with absolute power. Does that make you uncomfortable? Well, it does if it's anybody but Jesus. <laughs> right? If it's anybody but Jesus, absolute power corrupts absolutely. But not in this case. This is the only actual person, and Jesus is a person, right? God in the flesh, sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning on this earth, and it's perfect. Oh. So not only is it a day of rest for the earth, but do you know what it is? It's a day of rest for humanity. Oh. Finally. Finally, finally, you don't have to complain about who's in office. And if you do, (laughs) don't go there. (laughs) Don't go there. Yeah, Revelation 19, 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Man. Man jeremiah 23 the lord our righteousness man he is our righteousness he is going to be on the throne a theocracy is the form of government a military dictatorship where everyone obeys one man ruling with absolute power surrounded by other men and women ruling of like mind it'll be an incredible thing only jesus is man enough by the way to do it right He's the only man able to do it right. And the millennium, is. this is nice, no more politics. No more elections. No more arguments. Oh, man, I'm ready. I am ready. So the communism, the jihadis, the Sharia law, socialism, democracy, right, all of that. Conservative versus liberal, out the door. Government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Uh, By the way, we'll perish from the earth. Sorry to tell Abraham Lincoln, but uh, no. It's going to be of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be righteous, and it's going to be right. I had an opportunity to to fly to a kingdom. This is a corrupt kingdom. They don't love God. It's a Buddhist kingdom, and uh, it's the last Buddhist kingdom in the world. You know, when I landed, what I realized is that there was an absolute authority. And as Americans, it's kind of, we just, I mean, we are the authority. It's right to the people. And that's demonstrated best in America as, uh, I mean, really it is. We are our own kings, right? Our our home is our castle, right? All of that stuff. But I tell you, when I got off the plane and uh, and I had reason to be a little bit nervous and I knew there was a king on the throne, it was weird for me being an American to be in that environment. It wasn't like going to England. I've been to England. Yeah, that's a, you know, whatever. Uh I wasn't worried about the king in England right now. That's the queen, you know, whatever. (laughs) But in this particular kingdom, the king, within a, you know, a reasonable window of time, right, within, you know, the last 20 years, has actually persecuted Christians. And while I was there, arrested a Christian for having Jesus films, in which I had several in my backpack. And so I was like, holy moly. And, uh, I just sensed that the king was in charge. That was a corrupt king. But man, I I tell you, it was good for me because it it makes me think about the nature of the millennium. What it'll be like to be in a kingdom where Jesus Christ, you're going to know he's in charge. You're just going to (laughs) know when you wake up in the morning, man, there's a king on the throne. You don't go a day without thinking about the king on his throne. And it's going to be awesome. This is a benevolent king. This is a good king. This is a king that loves you, that died on the cross for you. I mean, this is a king of kings, man, and a lord of lords. I can't help but smile, man. I'm just like, I'm excited about this king. It's awesome. There is a peace that comes with being in a kingdom and knowing that there's an authority, there's a buck stopper, and it stops at the throne. And if anyone wants to blame Jesus for anything, they can go complain at his throne. <laughs> well, man, it's going to, it's incredible. That, by the way, that, I don't recommend that. All right, so, <laughs> anyway, I got to keep moving. This is exciting to me. All right, so the word king and kingdom appear 3,000 times in the Bible. It's the subject of the Bible. We talked about that last night. We know that, and we should operate like that. And uh, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and you won't want to mess with him. He reigns on the earth. Point two, it's a dual theocracy. So the spiritual and physical kingdoms are merged. Now I want you to look at this on the chart. It's a dual theocracy. So the kingdom contains now the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. As in earth, or as in heaven, it will be on earth, right? It all comes together. There's a kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guess what? Jesus rules and reigns on earth. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are both visible and present. And there's a kingdom. It's a dual theocracy. i got a lot to say here, so let me... uh, I think I'm doing all right. Um, The seventh angel sounded, Revelation 11 and verse 15, and, and, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms, plural of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The saviors, Obadiah 121, which I think I put in your notes, the saviors shall come upon Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Uh, these are two really important verses, because when you're looking at Revelation eleven fifteen, you think about the kingdoms of this this world, plural, right? There's a lot of kingdoms today all over the planet. The Gentiles have been dividing them up, you know. And so uh, there's all kinds of kingdoms on this world. They're all going to come underneath the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. But also the saviors. That's interesting. Saviors. Obadiah chapter, well, there's only one chapter, verse 21. What's that about? Well, again, I reference you to what I, I, I asked you to read as homework. If you may have forgotten to do that in all the busyness of our schedule. But Joel chapter 2, when we return with Christ, it's going to be an incredible thing. As the Saviors come upon, upon Mount Zion, as we are there to see our King anointed, as, as we are there ministering, man, all the kingdoms come together. It's going to be an incredible thing, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. As we will be in our perfect glorified bodies, it's going to be awesome. I want to sneeze. Let me take a drink of water and see if this shall pass. I think it has. All right. And so the kingdom, plural, references the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. These kingdoms will come together. And Genesis 1-1 will be restored. The spiritual and physical aspect of God's creation will once again be joined together under Christ's purposes to rule and restore the kingdom as it's always been planned. The millennium will join the kingdoms separated um, <coughs> now, except for the encounters of the close encounters of the third kind. So Hebrews 13, one through 2, some will entertain angels unawares, right? But don't look for angels, right? Don't intrude upon angels, as Colossians is clear about that. Uh, Samson's parents saw the angel of the Lord. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. The 40-day ministry of Jesus Christ with the disciples is a picture of Jesus interacting with humanity during the millennium. And so he'll be interacting with us during the millennium. It'll be incredible. Well, not with us. With the, uh, with the the uh, We're already going to be with him. That's not an issue. But with the uh, Gentile world and with the nation of Israel. So there's a practical aspect for us in the kingdom. We are reigning with Christ, which is what we're concerned about this morning. We have glorified bodies, conformed to Christ's image, yet we're in a physical world. Which, by the way, gets back to what I was mentioning a few days ago, I think the first day, about the resurrection, why you need a new body. Because like Jesus... We're going to be interacting with people. We're going to be hanging out. Remember, he was in the upper room. Boom, there he is. (laughs) Oh, Thomas is like, whoa, you just answered my prayer. Yeah, what do you need, Thomas? And so how we get around and how we do all that is, uh, that's going to be awesome. And uh, your imagination can run with you, but it's going to be awesome. It's really going to be cool. In the true sense of the word, we use awesome like, you know, no big deal. Awesome is a really awesome word. And uh, it means the sense of awe, like, oh, the millennium is going to be, in the true sense of the word, awesome. And our inheritance is going to be the revelation of what God gives us is awesome. It's going to be cool. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Philippians 3 For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall change our vile bodies? By the way, if you didn't know your body was vile, you know, you didn't shower this morning. I mean, mean, come on. That it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. So not only is he able to subdue our bodies, right, and give us a new body, but there's a purpose for our bodies, and it's about what God's going to be doing with us in the millennium. And what we do today is going to affect how we are... Uh, activated in the Millennial Kingdom, it's gonna be—it's gonna be cool. So, Savior's lowercase judging with the King, right? Because, well, it's been known for a long time, right, in Antioch, that we're Christians, we're little Christs. We've been having that rap for two thousand years. Well, guess what? We get to own that baby in the Millennium. It's gonna be cool with a small s. <laughs> Be careful. We're not there yet. It's pretty awesome. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. You guys getting what I'm saying? Okay. I know you're tired. Point three. It's also going to be, man, what's going to be happening here? This isn't the, the just the, the why. This is the what. What's going to be happening is peace and righteousness. Peace and righteousness. So Psalms chapter 122, the Bible says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, right? It's on all the bumper stickers. Uh, they shall prosper, that love thee, peace be within thy walls, and prosperity within thy palaces for the brethren and companions' sakes. I will now say, peace be within thee, because the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good, he will seek peace psalm eighty five verse seven daniel nine twenty four when that prophecy is downloaded to Daniel, seventy weeks are determined upon. Thy people upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. We spent a lot of time talking about that, haven't we? Yeah. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. Oh, here it comes. And to bring everlasting righteousness. Oh. Whew, rest, rest. And to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. The things will be done right. And it'll be done according to the law. The law of God. A perfect Jewish society ruled with an iron fist. More correctly, right, an iron rod. That's what the Bible says. An iron, a rod of iron. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. After he treads upon the, 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 the wine press of the fierceness of, of his wrath, the Bible says in Revelation 19, 15 that he will rule them with a rod of iron. Uh, this is not the Jesus that you saw hanging on the crucifix. This is Jesus large and in charge, ruling with a, with a rod of iron, righteously, justly, with no blemishes. Man, it's going to be cool. Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, I have set up my king upon his holy hill, Zion. I declare the decree... The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. Ask me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. And when he gives him the heathen for his inheritance, he will then give that to be administrated to the nation of Israel. And we will oversee that kingdom with the king. It's going to be cool. And the the uttermost parts of the earth for possession, thou shalt, shalt break them with a rod of iron, but thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. For time's sake, I'm not gonna get into all the notes. I think you have them there. I, I don't I'm gonna lose track of time if I continue to read all my references, but this is this is the question that comes to mind. Why does he need a rod of iron if like sin has been dealt with and he's large and in charge, Brian? Anybody got an answer for that? That's right. Free will. Man, human there's humans. And under the best circumstances best circumstances you know what men just aren't going to do what they're supposed to the king will sit on his throne and he will there's a reason it says he will judge the heathen because they'll need it <laughs> they you know what we need accountability don't we there's a reason we meet every week you know all the group therapy sessions that you know they figured it out but all they're doing is mimicking what Jesus Christ set forth a long time ago. He's like, guys, you got to meet the first day of the week. Why? Because you need a group therapy session. Yeah. We all get together, and we all remember who Jesus is and remember, oh, that's right. What is he doing? He's keeping us in line. He's keeping us accountable to his word. Because even us, right, in the, having Christ in us, the hope of glory, what do we need? We need to renew our minds daily. we got to be in the word daily. we got to be reminded daily. Why? Because why we have these carcasses, man, it's a battle, isn't it? Well, now Jesus will be in the flesh. <laughs> you know, wouldn't that be cool if we just pop into the room? Hey, do you need a reminder today? I mean, <laughs> whoa. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for judging me. <laughs> but we get that, don't we? We get, the, we get it on this side, guys. We get it over here. Why? Because Christ is in us. And the Holy Ghost does give you a reminder, doesn't he? You ever been in the midst of sin or, or getting ready to do something really nasty? You're about to take the wrong step somewhere and the Holy Ghost just shows up like, boom. I, I, I got a feeling that's what it's going to be like in the millennium, too. It's like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> 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 Thank you for the reminder. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I, I, I got to be preface. None of that is in scripture and I can't find it. <laughs> that's just me kind of. Imagine, it's going to be cool, it's going to be awesome, it's going to be good. But many nations will come. It's, uh, Micah chapter 4 makes it clear, many nations are going to come, and, and they're going to say, and he's going to say, come and let us, and they're going to say, I'm sorry, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Part of the ministry in this kingdom is the nations of the world will come. Annually, they have to appear before the Lord. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. We've heard that. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Oh, here's what Greg was talking about. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. For all the people will walk, everyone in the name of his God, and, and uh, will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, saith the Lord, I will assemble her that, that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that, that I have afflicted. I will make her that is halted a remnant, and, and her that was cast off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over the mountain, uh, over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever." And that passage is uh, repeated, in essence, in Isaiah 21, 1 through 5. He shall rebuke many people. In the midst of his kingdom and his reign, he will rebuke many people. And so, in his incredible golden age, in our notes it says this is a semi-golden age. Why? Because uh, perfect from God's point, yet there are sinful men and having the planet, and Christ reigns in the midst of his enemies, like Psalm chapter 23 talks about. And so, it's going to be an incredible time, as he rebukes many. And he will reveal sinful nature to man, and reveal how to run run a perfect world. He'll He'll be the perfect governor of the earth. And so the law proceeds from Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 2 speaks to that. Israel is promised to be the head of all nations. But if there is a condition to this promise, if, and this blows me away, if thou hearken to the word, if, man, that's hard to think about, but people will actually, under these circumstances, at times decide not to hearken to the word. That's hard to think about. Psalms 111, verse 6 says, He has showed me his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. He's going to give them the heritage of the heathen. heathen. And, and Israel is going to rule them through the law. The law of Moses will be back into effect. So man is in his fallen state, can still walk with God. That's also interesting. They'll be able to, you know, their faith will be sight. I'll talk about that here more in just a moment. God will con- he continually tells us how that we can walk in him, and it can be done to a point right? A limited point. And we have the Holy Ghost, so we should be walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. We should be holy as He's holy. That's a whole other message. Israel learns to walk in the law of the Lord as a testimony to the world. So under this government, men are learning to obey the law. And also Israel now is obeying the law as it was intended. And in Isaiah 2, 5, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. In His light, they will walk as they were intended. This is the way that they walk in at Isaiah chapter 30. So, Jewish sacrifices will be back in order. The Old Testament law will be in effect. And then we'll look back to Calvary. And, and so, because some are like, well, what a, why would that happen if Jesus Christ is sufficient? Because all of those things will also picture what Jesus Christ has fulfilled. And so, he will, those, the, the law will actually reflect the righteousness of Christ because He is the only one who has fulfilled the law. The law. So I have several verses there. For time's sake, I'm going to keep moving. Point five, there'll be a reinstatement of Jewish feast and Jewish uh, societal law. And uh, he will teach us his ways, the Bible says in Isaiah 2. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I, Zechariah chapter 14, this is amazing to me. Uh, the Bible says, and if, if the family of Egypt go not up and come not and have no, have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of the tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. In the millennium, this is completely a millennial reference, by the way, Zechariah chapter 14. It wasn't going to be fulfilled until this time in history. It's Again, it's prophecy. And there's a time coming where the Gentile nations have to come up annually. They have to appear before the Lord. And what just blows me away about Jesus is after all the things that he's put up with he even puts up with someone not coming and he sends a plague do you know that an absolute rod of iron means he could just wipe them out like that he could just wipe them off the planet but even in the millennium after all of this I still see the grace of God saying are you serious all right No rain for you. (laughs) I'm going to give you a space to repent. Man, what a good God we serve, guys. The thing about God is just knowing him. I mean, really, when you get to know him, it's like, whoa. Whoa. You are awesome. You are, there's no words. There's just no words to how good our God is. Colossians chapter 2. The Sabbath is a shadow of things to come. So Solomon's reign, right in the Old Testament, points us to that seventh day of rest. And so, in Chronicles chapter eight through nine, it's a, poli- a picture of the millennial reign. The entire world will function like those two chapters. They will come to see what's going on. Man, they want to. They will want to. Most people will want to, you know, see what is happening in Israel after twenty years in the middle of his reign in the in the in the book of uh, <coughs> of uh, Chronicles um, chapter eight. It says, and it came to pass at the end of 20 years wherein Solomon had built the house of the Lord in his own house. Right? Verse 2 the cities which Hiram had restored to Solomon, Solomon built them and caused the children of Israel to dwell there. And it goes on to say, and then uh, that he prevails against the Gentile cities. He doesn't war against them because it's a picture. Solomon's a picture of how Jesus is just ruling and reigning, he doesn't have to go to war. The, 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 the Gentile nations will, will come to him. Teddy Roosevelt said in his foreign policy, I don't know, it may have been his domestic policy too, but he always said, speak softly and carry what? A big stick. A big stick. Right. I'm glad you guys know that. Uh, Jesus Christ is going to speak truth and have a rod of iron. The nations will submit. They'll submit until the very end after the millennium for that space. So even after a certain rate every day, the offering according to the commandment of Moses on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, and on the solemn feasts, three times a year, even in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Passover, and the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the Feast of Booths, 2 Chronicles 8.13, there was a structure for everyone to come and give sacrifice at the temple. And so David's structure from 1 Chronicles uh, chapters 23 through 29 reveal the, how the house of the Lord is perfected, and the riches of the world are for him and His glory. So everything will be coming in. And c- I mean, talk about a harvest around these feasts. and've already it was already in effect in the Old Testament, but it was obviously just for the Jews. Now the whole world will be enrich- will be enriching the kingdom, and the benevolent ruler will of course enrich the entire world. And so it's going to be a perfect system as everyone comes to Jerusalem. To see the king. I'm not quite sure how that's going to be administrated, but it's going to be just like the Bible says. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, we see, um, we see the Queen of Sheba want to get in on this, right? She comes in to say, Man, I want to see this. And then she sees it, and it's greater than she could imagine. And she's so impressed that she gives gifts, right, to Solomon. The main annual feast of tabernacles to observe the anniversary of this advent in Isaiah 2 and Zechariah 14, also in Isaiah 60 and Psalm 72. Uh, <coughs> will be part of that. The agricultural Sabbaths of Leviticus will be in effect. All of these things will be going on. And the systems of Jubilee will reset the economy every 50 years, just like the Old Testament. So the economic system has already been written down. It's, all, it's been recorded for years. And all of that will just be imposed and it will be perfect. You know, some some Jews like, well, you know, I'm not really going to give up my property. It's going to be like, oh, no, you are. <laughs> <laughs> that person's going free they're no longer you know, all that's going to be in order and it'll be a beautiful thing point six uh no preaching what yep i'm i'm out of business you know i get to rest my mouth <laughs> amen that's what my wife says amen no preaching why now this is going to freak you out and greg took care of this yesterday so, take what Greg said yesterday and apply it here, and what I was warning very seriously, soberly yesterday as well. Because there's salvation by works. What's that mean? Well, you know, you've got to put up or shut up. Right? Faith is sight. <laughs> Do what you're told. In Zechariah chapter 13, let me read this. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land and there shall be no more remembered. And I also will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land, and it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, uh, then his father and his mother that begot him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord, and his father and his mother that begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. That's serious judgment. It's fulfilled. It is finished. When Jesus is ruling and reigning, he is the absolute standard of truth. And by the way, is he ruling and reigning in our life? Because if he is, he's the absolute standard of truth. It's a fearful thing. And he shall teach every nation his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, and all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Hebrews 8.11 all are going to know him. He's ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. You can get access to him. There is no new prophecy like the apostle Paul said, like if an angel or anybody says anything else, including myself, forget it. Right? That's going to be on steroids in the millennium. You don't you don't presume to open your mouth in the name of the Lord when the, name of the when the Lord himself is present. And by the way, what a privilege it then is. To be entrusted with the gospel and to be told that we are entrusted first thessalonians two four man that's an amazing thing that 's not in your notes, so there's no need to preach about Jesus when he 's there I've got several verses we don't have time to get into all of them, but faith is sight right and 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 it's going to be an incredible thing um and so prophecy is, fort- is, is the foretelling and foretelling of the word, right? Just giving forth the word. And we talked about that already. I'm just going to keep moving for time's sake. But um, faith is sight. Salvation is manifest by works. And it's going to be a matter of doing what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Uh, come to Jerusalem. See the king of glory. Worship him. Obey the law. Right? Right? Uh, John chapter 20, though, is a great example. John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29. Doubting Thomas, right, his faith became sight. And it was impossible to reject Christ. Uh, That was evident with the the Pharisees in John 8, right? I mean, there's a point where you're confronted with Jesus in the flesh. And you, you receive that or you reject it. And there's either judgment or there's not. I mean, well, there won't be if you receive him and there will be if you don't. It's that simple. He's ruling with a rod of iron. So there are men like Barabbas who've seen Jesus in the flesh, right, and rejected him as he was getting ready to die. Men's hearts are hard. Long lifespans are going to be back in effect as well. Uh, they're going to be very long lifespans. There, there shall be no more thence an infant of days or an old man that hath ful- fulfilled his days, for the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. To have a 100-year-old life is like, man, you must have lived a hard life. Man, you've been, getting, you've been into stuff you shouldn't have been. You're 100 years old and you're croaking. So the lifespan is going to be increased as the world is healed. And so uh, historically, and I put a little chart in here, there's been a reversal ever since Genesis, right, of the lifespan of humanity. Genesis 5-11, through the lifespans are up around 900. No one's lived over, by the way, a day, 1,000 years, because that's reserved for the Lord Jesus. 930, right? We had some long lifespans back before the flood of Noah, but no one made it to 1,000 years. And in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. We talked about that. Genesis 5-5, Adam ate and lived for 930 years when God said that day that thou eatest thereof. You'll die. He died. So he died spiritually, and within a 1,000 years, Second Peter 3.8, he died physically. And so no one will ever live over a 1,000 years um, in these corrupted bodies. The people of Genesis 5 lived in a much different world. And, of course, they had a perfect garden environment, and they lived a long life. But in the millennium, a reversal of all this natural and geological decline will happen as Jesus brings life to the earth, literally, I mean literal life. When you go back and read about it, it is an awesome and an exciting thing to see what happens when Jesus returns. Just, just geologically, uh, the topography changes. There's water that comes out of the, the temple that 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 heals the nations. Literally, the 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 plant life. There's sloughs where some things are left over, but the waters of the ocean end up just. I mean, the whole world is affected by this water that comes out of His throne, which is only a picture <laughs> of what's coming in eternity. I mean, it's. You get into this part of the Bible, and your mind blows off your head. It's just incredible. Um, But back to the millennium. You get in the millennium, and you think, oh, man, that's it. (laughs) No, Greg's coming after that. (laughs) Oh, no. This is just awesome. After awesome is even more awesome. (laughs) So it's cool, man. It's just awesome what, what is coming and so you know we die today because we eat the, the ground right the stuff out of the ground is going to kill you in due time one way or another it's all messed up but man in the millennium you'll see this reversal it's so coming out of the tribulation all the environmental disaster the nat, all the stuff that's been destroyed it's going to take a few generations it's not overnight when i first got saved i just imagined everything happening overnight but it's going to take the more i read the bible he allows some time it's, it's going to happen in co- it's not going to take long as we've seen, even in this corrupt world, right, uh, a fire comes raging through, and it looks like it can never, you can never—you know—it looks like Armageddon. Next year, boom, right? Mount St. Helens. You go back today and look, and it's like, wow. Um, and so, God has an ability, even in this corrupt world, to restore it. But wait until He's on the throne, doing whatever He does with the water coming out of the throne, and, and just His presence and how nature responds to Him. Which is, by the way. I'm going to backtrack to the second coming. Nature responding to God, at, even in, in his wrath, is going to be awesome. I, I just can't imagine what it's going to be like. It's going to be cool. But anyway, moving on. Uh, in Ezekiel, uh, in Matthew 24, people go alive in the millennium, as we've mentioned, in natural human bodies with a sin nature, but they're going to be eating from a ground that's been regenerated or being regenerated. So why does their lifespan get longer? Well, because guess what? They're eating healthy. It looks like your doctor says, eat healthy. Well, guess what? One of the bennies of Jesus being on the throne is you're going to be eating healthy. Your body, you're just going to live longer. Praise the Lord. That would be awesome. And so those in physical bodies, like ours, are going to have these crazy long lives. Why? Because they're going to be healed as they eat. I was on my way up a mountain in Nepal one time and uh, going to this little church. It was back in 2008, and there's this little girl that runs off the path. You know, so it was a good time for me to go. <gasps> <laughs> uh, no joke. I mean, I was dying trying to get up to this mountain, this little village. And I'm uh, I'm like watching this girl. She's climbing up on this tree. And she's hanging out over this cliff. And I'm just like. <laughs> she's going to die. And I can't get over there to save her. Uh <laughs> and so the, they pluck off all these things, you know, and. They start eating these leaves, you know, and <laughs> and I'm going up the mountain, and I'm like, I finally get to the top, and I'm like, what, what are they doing? What, what, I saw this girl hanging out over the cliff plucking leaves. What's all that about? Oh, they're like, oh, that's such and such tree, and they eat those leaves. It helps their stomach because they know they're getting ready to have a big old thing of rice. And I was just, I'm like, dude, I'd have to go to the pharmacy to get that. She just runs off a cliff, picks some leaves, and she's good to go. It's going to be awesome in the millennium. And we'll have the recipe, right? We'll know all that stuff. The Lord says this, right? My family likes to cook greens, you know. I don't know how they do it. They go out, well, my older relatives, I don't know how to do it in the younger generation, but the older relatives, they'll go out and pick weeds. I call it weeds, man. They go pick some weeds, throw some fat on it, cook it. It comes out, salt and pepper, it tastes great. They know what will kill them and what won't. I don't know the difference. So if you, you don't want me to cook greens up, which to me is just eating weeds with, with you know grease on them. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with anything other than this. <laughs> We're all getting tired and it's time to stop. All right. But really, the food is going to be incredible. And the dietary laws will be in effect. Everything will go back. And uh, it will be an incredible time uh, for the body to heal, for the world to heal. Uh, it will be a reversal of all of those things. Uh, just as the water is used to judge the world, the water is also used to heal the world. And we know that human bodies are composed primarily of what? Liquid. That's right. And so our bodies are going to be healed right along. Well, our bodies. I keep saying that. We want, We're all going to be in, in, in glorified bodies. So the bodies, the people that are inhabiting the world's bodies, will be healed um, uh, as they partake right of the of the benefits of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning on His throne. It's going to be awesome. In Revelation twenty two and verse one speaks of. The water flowing out of the throne. Now, this isn't the millennium. I don't want to get too far into Greg's (laughs) material. So, we're going forth into eternity future. But there's something about water coming out of the throne. John's observation in John 19 34, by the way, there's something about water coming out of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Bible says in John 19 34, that the blood and the water came out. And I'm just going to let you meditate on that. I'm not going to get too far into that. But I do think there's a significance to that because in Revelation 22.1, in addition to, as I believe, the water coming out of the throne, it does say the water comes out of the Lamb. And I don't know. You'll have to go think about that. But the human DNA is impacted by the results of the fall, but also in God's judgment on the earth. But the But the degeneration of the human lifespan after the flood of Noah drops off dramatically. So I put that chart in there. You can look at that, and I put the years. So it's just a reference for you. But you can see how... It just drops off the, the chart. Everyone goes into the kingdom alive. That goes into the kingdom alive will die before <coughs> it's over. But no one will live a thousand years. The generations we see, we s- will see rapid increase in life. Now, what's going to happen is the lifespan increases. The world's population is going to explode. I don't know what that's going to look like. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Whoa! It's going to be cool to see how all that looks. I will see that when we get there. So those are some things I'm just looking forward to seeing. How 500 years in, how's this going to look? It's going to be cool. You get to see the rapid development, and for us it'll be like, uh, yeah, because we're eternal at this point. By the way, you're eternal at this point. From the moment of your salvation, you're eternal. And so that's a whole other thing to meditate on. But it's going to be cool to be in the millennium and observe all of these things. So everyone goes into the kingdom alive. <coughs> okay, Moses, let me move on, point D. Moses and Elijah picture the two groups. I, I don't want to miss this because I'm running out of time. Moses, in the Bible, Moses dies twice. So we talked about Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, in the, in, and we know about that, and we, we both Greg and I have addressed that. But check out the type. Moses dies twice, once in Deuteronomy 34. And we know, of course, there's a dispute over his body, and Michael the archangel rebuked um, Satan and all of that. And so, um, <coughs> but in the tribulation, of course, he dies again. The tribulation saint who died in the trib will be raised uh, for, for the kingdom, but they will die again before the 1,000 years are done. That's pretty interesting. Um, that's Moses. Elijah dies once. He's caught up in the chariot. But he dies in the tribulation, so some will go alive into the kingdom, but die before they reach the one thousand year mark. So there's a type in you know, Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, and I, and uh, and so that's also an interesting thing to think about because once you get past the once you get in the millennium and you start thinking about all of this, you know how are, how are these lifespans working out? Well, you see a great type there with Moses and Elijah uh, uh, between the tribulation saints and and uh, those that go in alive. Uh, and those that are resurrected. So there's also a nature, nature is regenerated, and i got to get done because I'm about out of time. So nature is regenerated. In Isaiah chapter 35, the Bible says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. You know, people say that today about Israel. They're like, man, Israel is just blossoming. The deserts are blossoming. And, and they're implying that Isaiah 35 is, is, is actually being fulfilled. And I will say in a shadow it is being fulfilled because Israel's in the promised land. And, and, and it's sort of like us, right? We're in a physical body and we're Christians. But we are just a shadow <laughs> of where we're going to be. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that, man, once we're caught up, we're going to be changed. We're going to be glorified. And we're like a seed put in the ground. We're nothing going in. But when you come out, it is much more glorious. And so, yeah, Israel in a type, you can say Isaiah in type is being fulfilled because God's preparing Israel. But, but don't, 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 no. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till she gets in the land. You want to see the land prosper. Wait till Jesus is on the throne. You want to see this earth get green? Man, you ain't going to need seed technology. All you're going to need is Jesus. And those deserts are going to turn green and lush. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be awesome. And so, and I'm not overusing that word. There's a man in my church that rebukes me when I use the word awesome too much. So I'm a child of the 80s, so, you know. But it's really going to be awesome. There's going to be rejoicing, joy, and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it in its excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of God, Isaiah 35, 1 through 2. Thus saith the Lord God in the day that that I shall have cleansed you from your iniquities. I will cause you to dwell in the cities, and the wastes shall be builded, and and the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by, and they shall say, This this land was desolate, and has become like the Garden of Eden. Woo! It's going to be awesome. And the wastes, and the desolate, and the ruined cities become fenced, and are inhabited. Yeah, you better believe it. They're going to have to set up some 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 places to live. By the time you get to nine hundred, <laughs> it's going to be full. Hawaii is nature beloved under a curse. That's under the curse. I can't wait to see what this world's going to be like when Jesus is on His throne. It's going to be incredible, and it's just going to be the beginning. The answer to environmental, environmentalism to agenda twenty one. Sustainable development. I'm dropping some things for you guys that are wondering what I'm talking about. Uh, hey, the answer to all that is not a new world order. It's Jesus Christ, the one who rules with order, right? The iron rod. And so lastly, and, we, and we'll be done, the animal kingdom is subdued. You remember what happened, right? We've been talking about you know the, 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 the Mormons, the lion will lay down with the lamb. No, the lion really will lay down with the lamb in and, and, and the millennium. In Romans chapter 8, well, let me, I'm going to read these passages in conclusion. Isaiah chapter 11, let God give, I'll let him have his word. And the righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, the faithfulness of the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. The little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall feed. The young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Have you ever seen a lion eat straw? No, you will in the millennium. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, which is a poisonous snake. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice den. And then... And shall not hurt nor destroy it in any holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea. You know, even the animals, they're not going to, the shark's just going to swim right by you. Ah, no, Jesus is on the throne. (laughs) Well, not us, the Gentiles, we won't be in that situation, because we're on the throne with him. Which is even even more incredible. It's going to be incredible. Romans 8, let me leave with this. Because right now, creation is groaning. There's a reason your dog bites back. Because he knows you're messed up. <laughs> oh, that's my dog. My dog knows I'm messed up. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, for the earnest expectation of the creature. When we go out today, and we look around our, nat- our look at nature, and we look at what's going on in the world, when you see that, that next time that... that that uh, elephant just goes crazy and stompedes over someone. You know, you see those videos all the time. They, they, create, they just get tired of it, and they go crazy. What is that? What's going on? They're groaning. The creation knows what many people don't, which is Jesus is the only solution. The earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, I want you to remember this. You... And I are the sons of God. 1 John chapter 3. Not only, how are they going to see Christ in the millennium? If they're halfway around the world, well, they're going to see you. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. So the lion and the lamb were sitting there, Adam ate of the fruit, and the lion said, hmm, no more lamb. <laughs> lamb for dinner. That's going to be reversed. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they also, but, hey, this is the truth, but ourselves also groan. Right? We, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Beloved, we're not going to be any good here until we get out of here. And that's why we've been talking about what happens here. Man, creation waits for that adoption. The lion and the lamb will lay down together. Which, ironically, Jesus was born in a barn with the animal kingdom subdued. The animal kingdom knows when the lion of the tribe of Judah is on the scene, and he will rule from his throne. Amen.